Good morning. We're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, looking at verses 12 through 14 this morning. And uh, the obvious question is, if we're finishing 1 Peter, where do we go from here? We're going to do 2 Peter. We haven't quite finished Peter's message yet. We're going to look at the introduction to 2 Peter next week. Then we'll take a two-week break for Christmas, looking at some Christmas messages, and then come back to the book at the end of the month. So that gives you maybe three weeks to memorize the first chapter anyhow. <laughs> and there's only three chapters in the book, so it's not that, that tough an assignment. First Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. Through Sylvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends your, you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you, all who are in Christ Jesus. I trust you've enjoyed our journey through the book of Peter. He began with the idea that we are simply pilgrims, or aliens, or depending on your translation, strangers in this life and, and, and this world. And uh, I'm not going to go back to that. Some of you are stranger than others. But uh, we're all strangers in, in this life. As, as the songwriter has captured for us, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. In the book, we've had a twofold message. Peter brought to us, first of all, the realities of trials. He spoke of the trial of our faith back in verse 7 of chapter 1, being more precious than gold that perishes and so forth. And he has developed that theme throughout the five chapters of the book there. And we can all identify with that. If we're not in the midst of a trial today, guess what? you got one coming. <laughs> You're not exempt from it. It's a fact of life. But with that reality of trials, he also brings to us a message of hope, a hope in the midst of the struggle, a hope that relates not just to this life, but to eternity as well. And so it was both a convicting book and an encouraging book as we stop and realize God is at work in our lives. He knows what he is doing in us. And what touches our lives today is merely temporary. It's preparing us for a glorious future tomorrow. Peter closes with the thought in verse 12, this is the true grace of God. Closes with the fact that in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the struggles, uh, Paul promised that all who would live godly in Christ Jesus will, will suffer persecution and tribulation and so forth. But in the midst of all of that, he said, this is the true grace of God. God is working in that trial. God is working through that trial for your benefit. And so he says, this is the true grace of God. How should grace impact our lives today? We're all aware that we are saved because of the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace are you saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. We praise the Lord and we celebrate that grace this morning as we partake of the communion elements. God in his grace reached down and somehow redeemed us and, and made us part of his family. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, he speaks of the grace of God there that, that it has appeared bringing salvation to us. And then he goes on to amplify that there. He says it teaches us how to live, how, that we should be living soberly, godly in, the, in this world. And then he 
It says that that grace is the blessed hope. We're looking for the glorious appearing of, of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And as Peter closes with the idea of the true grace of God here, he gives us three thoughts. First of all, he encourages us to stand firm in grace. Verse 13, it's how he ends it. Stand firm in it. It refers back to the true grace of God. But before he mentions that, notice he says through Sylvanus here. Perhaps you know him better as Silas, the same individual. He was the scribe here for Peter. Peter was dictating the, uh, the message. Sylvanus had the responsibility of writing it down. Life would be so much easier, I think, if, if, if I had that instead of trying to do it on the typewriter or, the, uh, or, or, or write it out and nobody could read it anyhow. But uh, Sylvanus was the scribe for, for Peter. Before that, he was a companion of the Apostle Paul in Acts Chapter 16 and verse 37, we read that Sylvanus was a Roman citizen. Remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas or Sylvanus had come to the city of Philippi. They had preached the gospel. They wound up in prison. They were beaten. They were put in stocks. And at midnight, they were praying and singing and, and worshiping God. And the earthquake came and so forth. But uh, the Roman officials came to him and said, hey, we're going to just turn you loose and let you go free. We're not going to press charges here. And, and Paul says, and how can you do this? You've beaten us as Roman citizens without a trial, without a cause. And he, he was demanding that things be put right there. He included Silas in that. So Silas evidently was a, a citizen of Rome as, as well there. We know he was a leader in the church. Acts chapter 15, verse 22, he was one of the men that the early church chose to <laughs> communicate the, the message that they had come to the conclusion of there in Acts 15 of, of salvation by grace, not through law. And he was entrusted with the Apostle Paul with the responsibility of carrying that message back to Antioch. Where he came to Christ or how he came to Christ, we have no record of that. But we do know that he was a man who was instrumental in the early church. He went with the Apostle Paul on the, the second missionary journey, and that was not an easy journey. That's when they were imprisoned in Philippi. They went from there to Thessalonica and ministered for a while, and then a riot broke out, and they had to flee for their lives. Eventually wound up in Berea, and then later the Apostle Paul sent him to Corinth to, to minister there as, as, as pastor for a time. Through it all, Silas stood firm in grace. Wasn't an easy path, wasn't an easy life. It was quite a challenge, but the grace of God was with him. And as we think of the book of First Peter, the warnings, the awareness that we're all going to walk through some trials, we're all going to have some struggles along the way, there, there may even be some tribulation and persecution come into our lives, uh, is it possible to stand firm in grace? Silas would come to us and say, yes, it is. If he could do it, then we can follow in, in his footsteps there. Ephesians chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 6, verse 13, where he reveals the spiritual battle there. He encourages us to stand firm against the enemy that, that would come against us there. He gives us the grace that we need to stand in the midst of the battle there. We don't, do not need to let the trials rule our life. We don't need to let the difficulties 
bring bitterness into our lives. We don't need to give up in discouragement. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I think, was wrestling with some issues there. Remember, that's the chapter where he reveals he had a thorn in the flesh. Three times he comes to the Lord and he said, Lord, would you you please remove this? And three times the Lord comes back to him and says, my answer is no. I, I don't know about you, but have you ever realized no is an answer? We, we, we like to keep pushing until we get a yes, but, but no from the Lord is an answer, and we need to learn to accept that as, as we walk through life. Uh, you know, when you were growing up, you knew if, uh, if dad said no, what do you do? Go ask mom. <laughs> if mom says no, well, the, the final resort is go ask grandma. <laughs> You're bound to get what you want that, that, that way, but you ever notice you can't do that with God? If God says no, God means it, and he means it for a purpose and, and a reason there. But as, as they went through that experience, or as Paul went through that experience, the Lord said, I'm going to say no, but I want you to know my grace is sufficient for you. I'll take you through this trial, but you won't go through it alone. My grace will be there. I will be there every step of the way to help you along the way. You may have been mistreated at times. Maybe people have misunderstood you. Maybe you face some opposition. Maybe you're in the midst of a trial today. But I think the word of God would come to us today and say, Stand firm. My grace is sufficient for you. You can stand firm in the grace of God today. Uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but uh, I wasn't going to have a birthday this year. My wife went and blew it. She doesn't listen all all the time. <laughs> she posted it on Facebook. Some of you you saw it on there. She she knows I don't go to Facebook, so I'm not going to see it on there. But you know, as I was sitting there reflecting on that, and then going over this message, I, I looked up and I have on the wall my ordination certificate there, and uh, it, it's actually the transfer of my ordination certificate from my home church to the Evangelical Free Church. And the thing that struck me as I looked at it was, it was dated, the first one was dated June 6th, 1968. That means I'm coming up to 49 years involved in ministry of one form or another. And and as I thought about that, I had to say, God's grace is sufficient. Have there been trials along the way? There sure have. Have there been battles? Have there been struggles? And yet through it all, God has been there walking every step of the journey with me. And the same thing is true of you as a child of God. His grace is sufficient. Stand firm in that grace. Don't give up today. Stand firm in that grace. Victory is just around the corner. This world's not your home. God's about to work, and and he's going to step in in a new way in your life. Second admonition here is not only do we stand firm in grace, but in verse 13, I think there is the admonition to grow in grace. Notice who he introduces next. Well, she starts with, he starts with she who is in Babylon. I think that's a, a coded message here. Uh, Peter was actually in Rome. He was on trial for his life. He was just about to be taken out and crucified. Uh, tradition has it he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy of being crucified the same way as the Savior was. But uh, whether that's true or not, we'll just leave that to tradition there. But he was a prisoner awaiting execution. He sends his greetings, and rather than getting the church in Rome in trouble, 
he uses the word Babylon. Now, uh, his th- those that were receiving the letter would know what he meant by that. But notice, as he sends that greeting, he sends it through John Mark. He says, so does my son, John, or, or Mark. Mark is also known as John or John Mark in, in Scripture there. And he calls him my son, my son in the faith. Was Peter the one that led Mark to the Lord? Perhaps he was. But Mark was known as a failure. Remember, as Paul went on the first missionary journey, John Mark said, I'm going to go along. I'd like to travel with you and so forth. And they went through the island of Cyprus, eventually wound up on the edge of Asia Minor there. And John Mark got discouraged. This was more than he had asked for. And he said, I'm going home. I'm going back to Antioch. And he left them there. Several months later, they got ready for the second missionary journey. And Barnabas came along and said, hey, let's take Mark along with us again. And you remember Peter or Paul said, no way. He failed. He's a failure. We don't need that on a second missionary journey and they had a strong disagreement about that. And, and the end result was that Paul and Barnabas split up. Paul went one way, Silas went with Paul, Barnabas went another way and took John Mark with him. And uh, the, the amazing thing about that is that even though Paul had branded him as a failure, years later in Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, bring Mark with you. He is profitable to me for ministry. What happened? What, what made the, the change there? Two things happened, I think. Number one, Mark grew in grace. God worked in his life. God changed his heart. God used Barnabas perhaps as the instrument to cause him to grow to the place where he became a useful servant of Jesus Christ. But I think there's a second thing that happened there as well. Not only did Mark grow in grace, I think Paul grew in grace as well. Paul had been quick to label Mark as a failure, to write him off, uh, and yet God had to change his heart and mind and attitude as much as he had to change Mark as well. They both had to have a change come in their heart and life. They both had to grow in grace. One writer in writing about this said, you are more than a human being. You are human becoming. Think of that. You're more than a human being. You're a human becoming. Becoming what? Becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. We are to be growing in grace. And as we grow in grace, I think we need to realize people need grace. Uh, Paul had to realize that with, with Mark. Mark was a young man, hadn't been used to the, the rigors of ministry, didn't know what he was getting into on that first missionary journey. Barnabas said, let's give him some time. Let him grow. Let, 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 them, let them change and transform. And Paul said, no way, let's leave them home. I wonder, as you think about that, have you felt like a failure sometimes? Have you felt like you've missed it? You, you've, you've blown it along the way? Praise the Lord, God is not finished with you yet. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that is true of every one of us today. We need to give God the opportunity to help us grow in that grace. God is the God 
of the second chance. Forget the pity party. If you've made some mistakes and did something wrong, don't, don't throw a pity party. Simply pray, Lord, change me. Lord, I need your grace to work in my heart and life. I, I need you to transform me into the image of Jesus Christ. We are called to grow in grace. If we're not careful, we get locked into the past and say, well, I can't, sir, because look at what happened back then. Or, or I can't be involved in this because I, I tried it once and it didn't work. Maybe the grace of God's been working in your heart and life, and maybe it's time to rethink that and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Grow in grace and let God transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. And then the third thing here is he calls us, I believe, in verse 14 to demonstrate grace. And I have to, again, confess this is a tough verse for me. He says, I want you to greet one another with a kiss of love or a holy kiss there. I'm not comfortable with that. Uh, I'd like, uh, I, I, I think of the, any of you read Eugene Peterson's translation the message yeah no, no. he took some liberty with the text and uh, he he tried to convey what he thought it said instead of necessarily literally translating it there and if, if Eugene Peterson can get by with that then I can get by with that on this verse as well so in, in the, the pastor works trans, translation of this verse it says greet one another with a holy handshake <laughs> I, I, I can go that far, or perhaps a holy hug, but uh, I, I'm not into this holy kiss business. Uh, now, uh, if you are, you need to realize in, in Paul's day, uh, it, men kiss the men, women kiss the women. So uh, that puts a little bit different light on it there. And uh, again, like I say, it, it, with my upbringing, I'm just not comfortable with that. <laughs> but when you stop and think about that, a kiss in the Bible days was a sign of friendship, a sign of, a, of acceptance and, and approval there. That's what makes Judas's betrayal of Jesus with a kiss so devastating. He, he's coming to him in a sense, and he's, he, he's saying, you're my friend, and he's stabbing him in the back. It, 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 it was a, a tremendous breach of, of etiquette there on, on his part there. But we are called today to demonstrate grace to one another, to, to demonstrate the, the grace of God. Yeah, Romans 14, Paul says those that are strong, they need to show grace to those that are weak. The weak don't need our criticism. They, they need our help and our encouragement today. Uh, there are times when we will deal with those that have some differing doctrines than, than what we do. Uh, and... Uh, uh, one of the things I like about the Evangelical Free Church is there are areas we're free to disagree. We have all kinds of individuals in our district that don't see 100% doctrinally that I see. Uh, we have some that are looking for the Lord to come in the middle of the tribulation. We have some that are looking for him to come at the end of the tribulation. And uh, we say, that's okay. It doesn't matter. We can have different views on that because there's no thus Clear, thus saith the Lord on it. Now, I personally hold to the fact that he's coming before the tribulation, and I always tell them if we get into a discussion on it that I'll explain it to you on the way up. <laughs> but uh, we, we demonstrate grace in those areas. Uh, there are many difficult issues that come into life, and too often, if we're not careful, we fight the wrong battles. 
We, we fight our brother and sister in Christ rather than recognizing the true enemy is Satan and the forces of darkness there. Years ago, I, I think it was when I, when I accepted the position as pastor at the church in, in cul-de-sac, I wrote a letter to a, a church that we had spoken in years ago, had visited several times. They had supported us when we were on, on the mission field little church up in Northern California, almost up on the Oregon border there, not, not too far from it, and uh, a little struggling church. And uh, the chairman wrote back to me and said, well, we're, we're thankful that the Lord has called you to another church, but uh, we're sorry that we didn't write to you sooner because we were going to ask for your resume. We thought that maybe you would like to come and, and be our pastor or, or consider that as well. And, and then he went on in the letter to say, we had to dismiss our previous pastor. We had to ask him to leave. That always raises a little bit of a red flag in my mind. I wonder why. What? And as I read the letter, it was a major issue they had to dismiss him over. Uh, they said he went so far as to raise his hand when we had our time of praise and worship. Now, we, we can understand that if, some, if, if a visitor comes and does that, but uh, if a pastor does it, that's setting the, wrong, setting the wrong message to the congregation. And I sat there and I said, thank you, Lord, that you opened another door. <laughs> that's not a battle that I'm going to get involved in. That's not a battle I want to fight. Uh, uh, that's, uh, if they want to fight that kind of battle, they can fight that kind of battle, but don't get me involved in it. I don't care whether you raise your hands or don't raise your hands. That's between you and the Lord. That That's uh, uh, once in a while, I'll, I'll even raise my hands. I guess I wouldn't have lasted in that church. I don't know. But uh, it, it's not something worth fighting over. It, it's uh, it, it, You don't have a thus saith. Well, actually, I, th- I think you do have a thus saith the Lord on that in Scripture. In, in the Old Testament, he calls for lifting up holy hands and so forth there. So uh, it, it is there is a biblical precedent for that. But don't fight the wrong battles. Demonstrate the grace of God when somebody disagrees with you. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, As much as lieth in you, be at peace with all men. We're not called to fight one another. We're called to demonstrate the grace of God to one another. There, there are times when battles are necessary. If it's a doctrinal issue, we need to stand firm on the word of God. If there's no thus saith the Lord, then we need to extend the grace of God. We, we, we need to show liberty in that situation. What do you do when somebody wrongs you? Do you get upset? Do you get angry? Do you attack them? Like the little kids on the playground? You, you ever heard, ever tried to resolve some of the playground issues? Well, he hit me first. Or he said this, that gives me the opportunity to say this back. No, we're called to demonstrate the grace of God. Don't let the world, don't let somebody else determine your standards. You do what you know is right, what what God would call you to do. You extend the grace of God to others, realizing that when you're dealing with your brother and sister, they're not quite perfect yet. Might be pretty close to it, but they're not perfect yet. Uh, and when, when you recognize that fact, I think you also real, need to realize you're not quite perfect yet either, and neither am I. We all need the grace of God working at times in, in our life. As we allow the grace of God to perfect us and work in us, notice the end result there in verse 14 is 
peace. Peace, he said, be to you who are in Christ Jesus. As we extend the grace of God to others, it brings peace into our lives and so forth. And so as you think of the book, are you standing firm today in the grace of God? Or have you been tempted to call it quits, to give up on the Lord? Uh, the trial is too much. Overcome by the trial or the struggle or, or the, the length of time perhaps, or are you giving God time to work his grace through you to touch the heart and life of somebody else? Are you allowing God to use the trial to be a blessing in your life? Are you using that trial to be a blessing to others? Aren't you thankful for those in grace that extended grace to you? I, I think of a long four years in my life from the time I first heard the gospel message until I came to the point where I knew I needed to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I thank God for the grace of a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a, a Sunday school superintendent, different ones that all during those four years never gave up. They just continued to minister the word of God to me and, and to my heart. And I, I thank God that they had the grace to, to do that today. Are you growing in grace? Are you allowing God to change you, to become what he wants you to be? And then are you demonstrating that grace to others? As I think of the book, the twofold message of the book, the reality of trials, the reality of the hope that we have because of the grace of God, I think of the story that was told years ago by Dr. Walter Meyer, and I don't know anything about him. I don't know what his story, his ministry was. But he tells the story of a man who was shipwrecked. Somehow he managed to reach a small island which was uninhabited. In the course of time, he was able to build a little hut to shelter himself from the burning sun and the wind and the rain when it stormed. He kept watching day after day after day, watching the horizon, looking for a ship that would come and rescue him. One day after searching for food, he returned to his hut only to find it enveloped in flames. And he was about to give up at that point in time. He watched it as it burnt to the ground. He slept outside that night. It seemed like a disaster. But on awakening the next morning, he saw a ship anchored off the island. The captain came onto the island and said, We saw your smoke signal. We came to see if we could help you. Grace in the midst of a trial. Are you in the middle of a trial today? Open your eyes and say, Lord, show me your grace. How are you working in this trial? What, what are you doing in, in my life today? How do you want to demonstrate your grace in a new way and a fresh way in me? Remember the Apostle Paul, when God said no, realized God's grace is sufficient. And it is. It will see us safely home. To glory. We can rest in that grace today. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in your grace. We confess that we don't deserve it. We don't fully understand it. And yet you have chosen to shower us with your grace. We give you thanks for that today. Help us, Father, to stand in that grace, stand firm, irregardless of the trials and the tests. Give us the courage to say, Lord, change me. Help me to grow in grace. And then as you give opportunity, help us to reach out 
and show grace to somebody that desperately needs it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing Rock of Ages. in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I received from the Lord that which I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, You do show the Lord's death until he comes. Do you want a glimpse of the grace of God? Look at the cross. There is the greatest demonstration of his love and his grace for us. And as you look at that cross, he goes on to say, examine yourselves. Make sure that your heart is right. Make sure that you're growing in grace and extending that grace to somebody else. 